Fellas, say goodbye to Chuck Sherman the boy. I am now a man. I highly recommend you join the club. We are doing the wild thing all night. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Sherman. Sherman, I could build this food. Is that all you gonna eat? General Sherman realized and understood the importance of house music. So, do you know anything about techno? No. Listen. Yeah, you know. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another brand new episode of Sherm in the Booth. I'm, of course, your host, Sherm. Today is Wednesday, January 13th, 2021. This is episode 143, 143. Ladies and gentlemen, 2021 is going to be a good year, and I'm going to ensure you of that. We've got a very special guest. He's an incredibly motivational and inspiring individual. He goes by the name of Kevin Nahai. I wanted to switch it up from music to life because I think it's going to be really important we all take care of ourselves this year. In episode 143, we discuss Kevin's life story. This is someone who's been through so much in life and gave us an understanding on how he's grown to the person he is today and the milestones, both positive and negative, that brought him to where he is now. As a life coach, Kevin helps his clients through tough times by relating to them on levels that he's experienced on his own. Some areas of focus include what it's like to date in your 20s and 30s, managing anxiety, self-esteem and confidence issues, and body image disorders. We unpacked each of these topics, and Kevin gave us an understanding on how he approaches each of these with his clients. As mutually optimistic people, Kevin and I had a great conversation about 2020. Although so much bad happened, we do believe a lot of good is going to come out and it's going to roll over into 2021 and far beyond. There's one thing that we all experience, and it's spending a lot of time with ourselves. We believe that happiness can be found internally, and discovering one's true self is so important to making that happen on a long-term scale. We also had a lot of great sidebar conversation, and I should have known that Kevin was going to get some demons out of me. But we went back and we talked about some stories that we haven't talked about in a while for both of us, and it was a really, really powerful conversation. Thanks for getting me to open up, Kevin. If you're struggling with any of the things that Kevin and I talked about, you should hit him up because this guy is an open book and he is such a fun person to talk to as well. The energy was on another level and I had a great time talking with Kevin. Without further ado, let's get into it right now so you guys can feel as inspired as I am. This is episode 143 with Kevin Nahai. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited to be here right now. My friend Kevin. Kevin, how are you today, sir? I'm excellent. Thank you so much for having me on the show, man. Absolutely. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm really good, all things considered. It's been a crazy week here. It's been a wild start to the year. I think no surprises, but... It's been a crazy year. And now I kind of thought that, you know, maybe 2021 would be off to like a nice, relaxed, <laughs> slow start. But I guess uh, the universe has bigger plans for us all. Yeah, I know. When are we going to finally say I should know better? But... <laughs> I'm like a hopeless romantic when it comes to optimism. I'm always yeah. just like saying there's going to be grass greener on the other side. That's just try, how I try and live life. But that's why I was so drawn to you, man. I want to thank you for reaching out to me. Um, immediately when uh, you sent me a message, just wanted to connect. Um, I checked out your page. I'm so inspired by all of your content. I think what you're doing is incredibly special, incredibly powerful, especially for people our age. Um, thank when you. So much has shifted uh in our generation you know what i mean like how we've grown up how our parents raised us what they've seen what we've seen in our grandparents generation and it's just really cool to see you talking about things that really affect 
everyone, whether they care to admit it or care to share it or care to talk about it. So I just want to acknowledge you for that, Kevin. It's really great. Thank you. Thank you so much um, for the introduction and the kind words. And, and it means it means a lot to me. Yeah. Um, and, and what you say about things shifting for our generation, I'm 28, you're 28. Yeah. Um, and, uh, in my, in my practice with my one-on-one -on -one clients, I work with men and women in their twenties and thirties, you know, usually ages, I would say about 22 to 37, something like that, yep. maybe 20 to 35 around there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I first started coaching people and when I first started speaking and I was trying to figure out you know, what's my niche and who can I help? Mm -hmm. I realized that there is something very particular and unique about this generation. Mm -hmm. And we have issues that other generations never had. Yeah. And, you know, we've got insane numbers of anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. Our romantic relationships are all kinds of messed up and distorted <laughs> in many different ways. You know, we, we also have a million great qualities. We're very creative. We're, you yeah. know, very progressive. We um, are, you know, we were the firsts to do so many different things. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's great things about this millennial generation as well, but being of this generation, you know, and, and struggling acutely with so many of the things that are, um, that are quintessentially millennial, yeah. you know, I, I, I was able to overcome some of those things and then say, okay, these are the people I know how to help because I am them, you know? Yeah. Gosh, I, uh, that's, that's such a great point. And one thing that I've been asking myself and my parents and, uh, their parents and something that, you know, I love to ask questions. I love to ask deep questions. I always love asking what's been the biggest either technological breakthrough or thing that was most impactful to you in your life, right? My grandparents said television. Oh, my, yeah. My dad says the cell, cell phone, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm and I'm thinking, I'm like, what is it to me right now? And it's just, you, you said it in one way or another. There's so many things that we've experienced first yeah. that it's almost like it's maybe too early for us to answer that. But it just goes to show there is so much still coming that we can't even understand yet that's probably already in motion and it's a lot for our generation to deal with so i i definitely i definitely resonate with you on that it is and it's a lot for the next generation to deal with as well because yeah. the thing is that look I, i'm no technology expert mm -hmm. but i am an expert on people and the way that we function and the mm -hmm. way that we think in our psychology and i mean expert sounds pretentious i mean this is my area of study <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, sorry, I, I don't mean I'm an expert. I'm no, I'm a master of nothing, but, um, you know, this, this is what I've kind of dedicated my life learning about. And what I can tell you is that how we are as human beings is not caught up with mm -hmm. where we are technologically and where we are in society. Yeah. So the advances and technologically our brains are not there our brains are intellectually wise enough to smart enough to create those things mm -hmm. but our emotional brains are still the emotional brains of 10,000 years ago you know and the things that that trigger our anxiety and the things that we need on an emotional level 
we're not we are not caught up to the stimuli that is being presented to us in society and in technology so emotionally we are very antiquated mm-hmm. um just beings and and that's neither good nor bad you know it's just it's just how we are so we've sort of skipped over our emotional development and gone into Instagram and Facebook and career and money and real estate and right. you know all of these other incredible things that are available to us but we've skipped the most important thing for our own development in the world and being able to live successfully which is our emotional condition gosh that was so spot on. I haven't heard anybody sort of explain it like that, but you're so right. Like we're still kind of cavemen when it comes down to it to a certain extent, right? We are, man. And look, I'm, uh, you know, I don't mean to sound like somebody from the fifties, but (laughs) men and women are very, very different. Any psychologist worth his or her salt, any sociologist, you know, anybody who really studies men and women will tell you that we are not the same. Our Mm -hmm. brains are not the same. We don't seek the same things in relationships. We don't bring the same things in relationships. So I'm all for the equal egalitarian treatment Mm -hmm. of everybody. Mm -hmm. But there are certain truths we have to recognize about, again, our emotional condition, our relationships, what we need, what men need, what women need, where the differences are, among us. So, you know, like the, the progressive movement to make everything equal, whether you think that's a good thing politically or a bad thing politically is irrelevant to me. Mm -hmm. The fact is that it's way more advanced than where we are emotionally. Yeah. We are still kind of like cavemen from an emotional perspective. And, (laughs) you know, in, in elementary school, for example, if you had a teacher who told you this, Mm -hmm. I hope they win the Nobel Prize, but (laughs) I never had a teacher who sat me down and told me how to have a good relationship. Yeah. What are the things that, you know, make us happy? Why do we self-destruct when we become older? Um, I mean, of course, you know, I didn't have a class on financial literacy or like (laughs) how to pay my taxes. That would have been useful as well. Yeah. (laughs) But I really didn't get the classes on you know, what it means to be adapted well to the world psychologically. And man, for my entire life, until I was like 23, I was such a psychological and emotional mess. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I really, I, I definitely didn't have that experience. And I think growing up, the only constructs you really have are what's either in your household. And I'm very thankful. I have incredibly supportive parents there. Um, both from my dad's from Queens, New York. My mom is from Baltimore, Maryland. They're East coast. They're hard workers. They're great people. Like I said, they, they went to, they, I was born in Santa Monica because they were going to medical school at UCLA. Right. These are extremely hard workers, wow. but I know a lot of people and we know a are lot of doctors. People. My dad is a doctor. Yeah. My mom was a nurse. Wow. She, Amazing. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's they're they're very, very smart and um, well-rounded people. But you know, I, and of course, we all have our, our faults. But I'm thankful for them because they did raise me to know what's important in life, right? Like you know, so many 
parents that are, and I think this is what I experience in our generation from a lot of close friends I have and people I go to college with and things we see on social media and movies, I was going to say movies and television kind of made us think like, is this what you're supposed to be? Is this what happiness is? Is this what sadness is? Is this what anger is? Is this what frustration is? Everybody's got their own definition and version of that. And I'm sure we'll go into that, but um, it's so difficult because you really, it's hard to find an identity sometimes. And it's so important early on, like you said, to have someone like your, your kindergarten teacher teach you the simplicity of happiness, yeah. teach you the simplicity of building relationships, all those sorts of things. So you're right. Yeah, it's, it's a shame we don't learn them. And, and, you know, you're talking about learning these things from movies but I was born and raised in LA with, you know, Hollywood in my backyard. Yeah. So talk about, you know, a a messed up model. Yeah. You know, being surrounded by rich people, actresses, models, you know, people who have really messed up lives internally, but they've got all of this glitz and glam. Yeah. You know, they're growing up my childhood home. There was a Starbucks near it. And that was the Starbucks where like Tom Cruise used to hang out. (laughs) And I went to a small private school for high school yeah. and I went to school with, you know, all of these celebrities, kids. And I'm also very grateful that I was raised differently. You yeah. know, my parents like really taught me the value of a dollar and working hard and stuff like that. But yep. still, you know, at a young age, if you, if you form healthy attachments to your parents, then you're good. If for whatever reason you don't form healthy attachments to your parents, then you form healthy, then then you form attachments to your peers Mm -hmm. and you form attachments to what you see in school and what you see in society. And that is how you end up with like teenagers in gangs and stuff like that. Or it's how you end up with like people, like I was going to school with people who in seventh grade were doing cocaine. Jesus. You know, so because they that that was their that was the attachment they formed it's it was so ubiquitous and if you couple right. that with maybe things not going so great in the home you've got a recipe right. for disaster but i it was always a tragedy to me that like we don't have people in school i think now it's different i think like high school kids now get a lot more emotional education yeah but so. not like when you and i were growing up no way man we had the just around the corner video where they showed us what sex is and i'm just like what the hell am i what is this i'm gonna forget about this right it, it, there's so many layers to unpackage there we probably have to do a whole nother uh episode and talk about the social constructs of millennial experience in middle school and high school but for sure yeah this has nothing to do with the with what we were supposed to talk about on this episode we knew so. this was gonna happen kevin we knew this sorry was gonna i digress <laughs> <laughs> now i want to backtrack really quick you've told us a little bit about yourself for someone who helps out so many other people i want to focus on you as much as we can today and what you've learned on your journey you were originally born in los angeles Tell us about growing up, what it was like, and um, you know, if you want to share your story as well, which you messaged me about, that would be great. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, so I was born and raised in L.A. Um, my parents are immigrants. Um, we are, my parents are Persian Jews. So Wow. Yeah, there's not, not too many of us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, m- uh, most, most Persians are Muslim, but there's a small number who are Jewish, and pretty much all of them have left Iran and moved either to New York or to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So there's a very large Persian Jewish community in LA mm-hmm. because they're all here. Um, and there aren't, 
there aren't many like in other parts of the world. Right. Um, so yeah, my parents are immigrants and, you know, I grew up with kind of the immigrant mentality of like working really hard, got to get really good grades. Yeah. Um, and I had a lot of pressure on me as a kid. Um, my parents did great. They always put me through great schools and stuff, but they demanded at a very high level. Mm -hmm. Um, God bless them. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Sure. The downside of it was that I was a very anxious kid. Yeah. And my anxiety started at a very young age. And I kind of felt like, you know, my parents' love was conditional. You know, like they would love me if I did a good job. But if I came home <laughs> and got in trouble, sorry, that's my dog. It's okay. <laughs> but, you know, that if I came home and got in trouble, that like then all hell would break loose. Mm -hmm. So... Other than that, you know, I had a very good childhood, went to good schools, had roof over my head, everything like that. Yeah. Um, I, high school was great. I was very popular. You know, I had lots of friends, had a good experience. Um, college is when shit really hit the fan for me. Yeah. And when all of my issues from childhood that I just mentioned yeah. really came to the fore. Wow. So... When I was 19, my first semester, uh, freshman year of college, um, I was diagnosed with a stomach disease. And for several months, I couldn't eat anything. So I started dropping weight like crazy. Oh, man. And I was in excruciating pain, and I became severely depressed. And I also started, my anxiety started setting in because I had never done anything to treat my anxiety. Oh, from when I was a kid. I wasn't in therapy. I never really dealt with it. It was always there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so my I started having panic attacks. And this was also the first time I was experiencing depression. Mm -hmm. um, so all of these neurological things in my brain were just going haywire. And my environment, the conditions of my life were pretty horrible because I was so sick. Yeah. So I became depressed. I became extremely anxious. I was suicidal and I almost took my own life one night in uh, the winter of 2011. And as a result of the trauma of all of this, um, I think, you know, the, the trauma for me just showed up in anorexia. Mm. Um, for some people, they become alcoholics or drug addicts. I became anorexic. Yeah. And that was my way of kind of punishing myself and abusing myself. Gosh. So I was severely anorexic for three years, you know, I had, my organs weren't working. I was hospitalized all the time. Yeah. I was still battling the stomach disease. And, still in you know. College. Sorry to interrupt. Were you still in college at this point? I was still in college, yes. Oh, my gosh. That is a lot, a lot to take on. It was a lot to take on. And at the same time that all of this was happening, I was getting straight A's, trying to make friends, and pretending that the problems did not exist. Oh, my God. So, like, my parents had to come drag me from campus and drive me to the emergency room because I, like, refused to acknowledge that there were problems. Oh, my gosh. Because I just, I couldn't handle it. I, I could not handle how my life had just completely crumbled, you know. Yeah. And, like, I had many flashbacks to the night I almost killed myself, but I just pretended it was a bad dream. Yeah. You know, I didn't talk about it. I didn't, you know, so my friends from high school would say like, dude, what the fuck is going on with you? We're worried about you. And I would just pretend like everything is fine. Yeah. 
it's just like a drug addict. You know, they have to be ready. They have to be ready to make a change. You can't, I mean, you can pack them up and ship them to rehab. Yeah. And they might become clean, but they won't be sober. They mm. might be clean off the drugs, but they're not, they haven't done the work on themselves, you know, to actually call themselves sober. You can't help so, someone who's not ready to help themselves. Exactly. Yep. I understand. So to make a long story short, yeah, I transformed everything. Mm-hmm. I got my ass in therapy. My stomach disease, you know, got better. I got a great girlfriend. Um, and uh, I started to get healthier. And, you know, I really went to work on myself and went to work on discovering what all the problems are in my life. And things were going pretty well. But then, you know, I believe that every time you level up in life, God tests you again. Yeah. And sort of knocks you on your ass to see if you're going to if you're going to regress to the level you were again mm-hmm. or if you're going to get up faster this time. Yeah. So, I mentioned I had a great girlfriend after that relationship ended, I started having a series of very toxic relationships with women. Yeah. And really rough breakups and like I thought, "Oh, I'm this great guy. I have this great girlfriend, so I'm fine." the conditions of my life are better and I'm healthier now mm-hmm. and I'm not anorexic anymore. Right. But then I got this huge slap in the face, which was like, okay, but your relationships are actually terrible. Yeah. And that's when I realized that I have abandonment issues and I have codependency issues. And, mm-hmm. you know, so then I had to go to work on that, Jeez. you know, had to get a coach and had to get in some support groups and yeah. had to start creating better relationships. So, all in all, now I'm at a place, thank God, that I'm healthy, I'm happy, I have wonderful relationships with friends, with family, with women, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm doing great emotionally, physically, um, spiritually, Yeah. Um, and the only issues that I work on with people are the issues that I have overcome myself. Yeah. So... Depression, anxiety, body image, dating, relationships, yeah. no clarity, loss of hope, no self-esteem, hating yourself. Yeah. I was all of that. Yeah. So, you know, now I know how to work on that. But if somebody comes to me and they say, like, I want to 10x my business, <laughs> you know. Car down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because a lot of these coaches are like jacks of all trades. Like. Right. They'll tell you how to run your marriage and how to run your business and how to raise your kids. And like, I don't do that, man. I, I, I work on what I fixed in my life. Yeah, I love that. First off, Kevin, thank you so much for sharing. I, I really appreciate the transparency there. And I um, thank you, man. Relate on 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 some levels in one way or another. And I think <clears throat> I think that's incredible that you were able to get through that. And it's, it's great that you have a support system like your parents as well. Um, I think that's so important. And I know that you don't take that for granted. And there are a lot of people out there who maybe are clean but not sober. Is that what you said, right? Yeah. Right. There are a lot of people out there who are masking. Uh, someone I you probably know is Lewis House. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's dope. I like him a lot. Big fan of him. You know, the, the mask of masculinity, something that I think... 
a lot of men in our generation deal with, right? It's because we think we're supposed to be big and tough and, and all that stuff. And I, mean, I don't want to speak to your experience, but to a certain extent, you were kind of hiding it because it doesn't look good for a guy to be depressed and anxious, right? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't look good. And even more, when you acknowledge that it's really happening, yeah, then you acknowledge that you have to do something about it. If yeah. you can pretend that it's not happening, you know, there's still some semblance of like, I mean, no girls would sleep with me. Nobody wanted to be my friend mm -hmm. because I looked like a skeleton and I obviously had emotional problems, mm -hmm. you know, but to me it was like, just maybe if I can just pretend, maybe this problem will just go away by itself. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that sentence, maybe this problem will just go away by itself sums up this generation's approach yeah. to our emotional issues. Not everybody has to have anorexia or major issues. You know, yeah. everybody's issues are important, but so, so many of us lack any sense of taking personal responsibility mm -hmm. over our lives yeah. and actually creating the changes we want. Like we are still waiting for God or the magic genie or mama or our ex-girlfriend to come and clean up our mess. True. And I was the same way, dude. I yeah. was, woe is me for years. I was like, don't want to acknowledge this, but why is this happening to me? But I'm a good person, but no, I'm fine. You know, I had to get really down and dirty and honest yeah. with myself. Tip, right? You'd like make a deal with yourself to get through the day and then you'd make another deal. I, I, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Now, how long from when you really think, let's just, I guess, let's just call them symptoms until you really felt, and you're of course always probably trying to get better and better to a version of yourself from when you first looked back to when you felt like you really kind of made through or a breakthrough to who you are today. How long of a time span was that? Are you saying how long was it from when I started to get better to when I was like good? Yeah, I guess maybe you even said middle school. Like my, my recovery? Yeah, 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 recovery. I would say my recovery period was like a good four or five years of everyday work. Yeah. And it continues. Right. I don't sleep on my recovery, man. Yeah. Like, I am not anywhere. It's, it's, I didn't arrive somewhere and now I get to chill. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I still have a therapist. Mm -hmm. I still read books every single day on relationships. Mm -hmm. I'm still a part of support groups that I was a part of, you know, years ago. Mm -hmm. I still meditate. I still exercise. I still stay away from toxic people. Yeah. I still catch myself on my own shit when I'm not doing so great. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it, so I think I really started making changes about five years ago, but one thing I think people get wrong is that they, for example, lose 10 pounds and then they think, okay, yeah. I lost these 10 pounds. So now I'm good. Like right. now I get to go on cruise control. Yeah. But then of course you gain 15 pounds. Yeah. And it's the same exact way with like the same exact thing with the way that we live our lives. You never, if you arrive at a place where you are finally happy with yourself, mm -hmm. you had to work hard to get there. But yeah. you have to work even harder to maintain it. Yeah. Well said. So that's where I'm at now. I love that.
And when did you start helping others then? Um, I started speaking um, to audiences and giving seminars and stuff three or four years ago. Um, but I started coaching people one-on-one, um, I would say two years ago. Now, were you always comfortable with public speaking and, and meeting new people? I mean, you said in high school, you're really popular and stuff, but college kind of seemed like a different time. What was that like for you personally to kind of go outside your comfort zone to a certain extent? Oh, well, I've always been an extreme extrovert. Okay. And I've never had a fear of public speaking or anything. Me too. We're lucky, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're very similar in that way. Um, so it was really depressing for me in college because I felt like I was not myself. Yeah. For the first time in my life, I had social anxiety. For the first time in my life, I felt uncomfortable in groups. Mm-hmm. For the first time in my life, I wouldn't speak up. Yeah. And that was because when you are depressed or you're anxious or your relationships are in the toilet, you know, whatever, you're really not your essential self. Right. You know, you're this cloaked, distorted, masked version of yourself that yeah. is just, it's just not you, you know? Gosh. So thank God I was able to shed that layer and, and get back to who I am essentially. How would you describe that feeling like you said there like you're not yourself but you're still acting do you, could mm-hmm. you tell were you convincing yourself you said your friends noticed right mm-hmm. but you were putting on this mask mm-hmm. what was that like for you looking back maybe in that moment did you even realize what was going on yeah of course i realized i had many problems mm-hmm. and i uh and people would draw, you know, draw my attention to them all the time. Yeah. But realizing you have a problem is different from acknowledging the problem. Right. It's different from accepting the problem. It's different mm-hmm. from take, taking responsibility for the problem. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, Sherm, have this, this sort of imposter syndrome where on the inside they are really not happy with who they are and really not happy with the conditions of their life. Mm-hmm. But they put on a facade and they put on a mask. You know, the, the quintessential example today is your Instagram reel versus your life. You know, like, like what you put on your social media mm-hmm. feed. Um, I always say that a person's social media account tells you one of two things. Yeah. Either it tells you a little bit about who they truly, truly are, mm-hmm. or it tells you a lot about who they want you to think they are. Yeah. yeah. And most of the time, it's the latter. Yeah. Most of the time, we're walking around projecting this image mm-hmm. to get other people to think we are a certain way. Yep. And inside, it's it's just not an accurate picture. Mm-hmm. And that, at that time in my life, putting on that mask yeah. and living inauthentically and trying to convince everybody that it's okay yeah is it was you know my small version of hell yeah it's just it's so much work and it's it would have been so much easier to just be like i'm not okay i'm really struggling Mm -hmm. i need some help Mm -hmm. please stand by me but doing that takes a lot of courage does 
it does take a lot of courage. It's like you said, self-acknowledgement. Yeah, you man. Gotta, you got to want to get better. Yeah. So I don't know if that answered, you know, answered your question about, you know, sort of projecting outwards. It definitely did. <laughs> you're frozen on the funniest face right now. Okay, now you're good. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like this. It's like you're going down a roller coaster. <laughs> That's the picture I'll share when we share this interview. Oh, perfect. Yes, thank you. So, Kevin, there are uh, some topics that you mentioned, and I want to break them down, but I want to list them off here first. You said dating and relationships for men and women in their 20s and 30s, managing anxiety, self-esteem and confidence issues, body image disorders. These are all things that you experience personally, and I think that it is, it is so much more impactful when you tell people about your experience because you need to be able to relate, right? You need to be, I think people, my day job is, is in sales, and crafting a story, not that like you're selling anything here, but crafting a story of relatability is that magnet that makes us all realize they're a person, I'm a person. There's not so much different about me and them, mm. perhaps and you, or he and she, whatever it might be, right? So I, wa I want to break them down here. So dating and relationships for men and women in their 20s and 30s. You mentioned a few times men and women are a lot different, right? What have you learned maybe about women from engaging in conversation, maybe things that stand out to you in conversations about how they feel being in relationships? Hmm. Well, the majority of my practice is women. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, most of, I would say my, my clients are 70% women, 30% okay. men. Why do you think um, that? I think it's because generally women are more likely to work on themselves and yeah. they're more likely to hire somebody to actually help them with something. Right. right. Um, and I think that they are, they're not more emotional than men, but they are more outwardly emotional than men. Mm -hmm. So they, they acknowledge their emotions and they're, right. they're, you know, more, more, um, prone to actually do something about it. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's been great because I have learned so much about women. I mean, I, I truly feel like now I understand women, not all, not all, but most, you know, Yeah. from sure. working with them and, and listening to them and understanding their stories. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a really insightful, enlightening thing to work so closely with the opposite sex and get inside their mind, get inside yeah. their hearts. Um, you know, and I work on very, I, I work on different things with men than I do on women. Mm -hmm. um, even if, for example, I'm working on relationship issues with a male client mm -hmm. and I'm working on relationship issues with a female client. Right. You know, I'm teaching them different things and I'm, and we're talking about different things. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you that just in the field of dating and relationships, um, I have a very particular mission and I tell all my prospective clients who come to me for dating advice and relationship advice, I tell them what my mission is mm -hmm. so that they understand whether or not I'm the right coach for them. Okay. Love that. And, and here's how it goes. Yeah. Most of my late teens and early twenties, you know, I was messing around. I was sleeping with girls. I, you know, my relationships, as I said, were no good. Yeah. And, I, my values were pretty, um, pretty progressive in terms of relationships and sex and dating and all that stuff. Right. 
in my own life, I realized that that made me very, very unhappy and it was not aligned with who I am. Mm -hmm. And from a psychological standpoint, I have learned that the traditional values of being a gentleman, treating women with respect, chivalry, monogamy, marriage, children, not sleeping around, mm -hmm. those sort of more old school traditional values yeah. tend to make people happier and tend to work better for us as humans. Mm -hmm. So I tell people that, look, if you're a male client and you're coming to me, yeah. from day one, we're, we are training you to be a gentleman. Yeah. And we are getting rid of all of your old habits yeah. when it comes to sleeping with girls, ghosting girls, friends with benefits. There's no more of that shit. Yeah. And my female clients, I tell them when they come to me, my philosophy is monogamy, marriage, children, you know, these are my values. There's going to be no more of that stuff either. No more friends with benefits, no more hooking up, no yep. more loose sex. You have to respect yourself and respect your body at the highest level. Yep. And from this point forward, we're going to be very selective about who you date. Okay. And the upside of this, the, the incredible, there's an incredible result. And then there's an incredible byproduct. The incredible result is that all of these clients have had healthy, happy relationships. Right. But the incredible, you know, the, 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 the byproduct, the sort of unintended consequence is that they are also happier with themselves and they also feel happier by themselves. Yeah. Even if they're not dating someone. Right. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, a lot of the things that I say about dating, uh, are controversial and they're old school. You know, I, I don't say anything like the man's got to make money and the woman's got to be in the house. Like, no, it's not about money. It's not about any of that stuff. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I am not the guy who's gonna tell you to just live your life, have fun, be free because you can do that, but it's not going to make you happy. Yeah. In your experience. Right. Yeah. In my, in my experience and in the experience of 99% of the people that I've worked with. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I've had, a, I've had a girlfriend for a long time, and she is the most important thing to me. So I, awesome. I, I totally understand. And I, I had a bad spell, too. I Actually, I met her um, in high school. She moved from South Carolina in eighth grade. Didn't really wow. talk to her too much um, until... 10th grade, kind of talked to her, had some mutual friends, junior year, we were in this, one of the same classes, and uh, I am, I'm, even though I'm a DJ, I am terrible at talking to girls in the bars <laughs> and the clubs. I am terrible at it, okay? <laughs> I don't know what these guys are saying, because, like, I, I went to a Big Ten school, I was in a frat, I saw these guys, like, talk to girls and, like, sleep with them, and I'm like, what are they saying? How are they doing that? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Right. And during that time, like we had broken up, she was going to college too. And it was, it was my own selfish ways. Right. And I'm just so thankful that she was willing to give me another chance. But what you just said there, I was being someone I wasn't because mm -hmm. it, I was becoming a product of my environment. Right. And I thought I was happy because that's what everybody else was doing. But I came to realize years later 
a lot of those people weren't happy. Right. Right. A lot of those Absolutely. girls, weren't happy. a lot of those guys weren't happy. And there's nothing wrong with Greek life and stuff. I'm not trying to talk about that, but like what, what I'm trying to draw the parallel to is when I met my girlfriend, who's absolutely going to be my wife. I was myself in a classroom in high school, right? Where I just was who I was. She was who she was. And it was just like this perfect connection. And then when I ever, whenever I stopped being that person that I was is when we drifted apart to my own fault. And when I came back to really that person who I am, we became stronger than ever. And it's because so beautiful. it's because of what you just said. Like, I just had to open up my eyes. I had to make mistakes to learn from them. That's something that I kind of always think about. You know what? Sometimes you got to make a bad decision, whether you, you don't make a bad decision intentionally ever, right? You think there's always going to be something good that comes out of it. But looking back, I'm a better person for it now. And we have a stronger relationship because of it. So I think it's really amazing what you said about how you were a certain person in high school and then you drifted apart from that yeah. and made some mistakes and then you had to come back to that. Yeah. And, you know, the, the term personal development mm -hmm. is kind of a misnomer, in my opinion, because the word development means that you are linearly progressing towards something mm -hmm. like here's who I am Kevin at age 28 when I'm 30 I will be I will have developed my personality in x y and z ways right really what I think it is is that you are born with all of the self-love you will ever need mm. you are born with a certain personality you are born with a certain emotional condition. Mm -hmm. You are born with certain needs. Yeah. And as we go throughout our lives, depending on the environments that we're in and depending on the influences that come upon us, mm -hmm. who we are essentially at our core gets buried underneath yep. a lot of different layers. Yeah. But who we are at our core is like, at our core is like this treasure chest at the bottom of a sunken ship. Yeah. And there's all of this debris and the sail and the mast and everything has crashed on top of the treasure chest. Yeah. So becoming the best version of yourself is not really a process of becoming. It's mm -hmm. actually a process of unlearning, of unlearning certain influences, unlearning certain environments. Yeah. And it's actually, it, it's, it's not becoming, it's returning. I'm returning to who I am, who you were that day in the classroom, yep. you know, when you weren't trying to be something else. Exactly. It's, it's, it's like the, the person you are, you are now is there is still that little innocent, fun-loving, outgoing 16-year-old Sherm inside of you. you oh, know? that is who I am. I have always been that person. And the day that I accepted that, I never looked back. And that's one of the main reasons we work so well is because that time apart as well, we both grew a lot individually. She's very smart. She's got a great job. She's just a beautiful person overall, right? And I had to grow. She had to grow. And we both still live incredibly independent lives. But because we're so happy individually, it's why we work so well. That's at least how I feel about it. So... Yeah, I, I I love that. You may I feel like I just want to talk to you about my relationship, even though it's going well. I just want to like you're like 
that's great. I love that. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, Kevin. I love it too. I do love that. And and earlier <laughs> I complimented you on your energy and your positivity and your outlook. And, you know, how could your, what, what's your girlfriend's name? Her name is Maya. Maya. Mm-hmm. How could you not love him? I mean, <laughs> this guy's a total stud. He's got She's such a great outlook. She's rolling her eyes right now. She's rolling her eyes. <laughs> exactly. You know? <laughs> That's so, no, but seriously, man, I'm I'm so happy for you, and Thank nothing you. makes me happier than learning people's relationship stories, their ups and downs, and how they, you know, overcame it and how they got together. And yeah, you know, even even when things are not going well in a person's relationship, yeah. I love hearing about that. Actually, that's what I hear about most of the time. I is, bet yeah. you know, <laughs> people come to me because they're having problems in their relationships, but I I even you know, I don't enjoy that they're in pain, but I enjoy hearing about that because yeah. it teaches me so much about them. Of course. Of course. So, I mean, this goes to show you're able to tell other people about learning from other mistakes. That's kind of how yeah. like, it just loops it back around. So what about managing anxiety? Because your business is probably booming these days, especially because of COVID and, and everything going on. Um, there's a lot to be anxious about. How do you go about teachings on a topic that is all too familiar these days? Like, how do you kind of manage that expectation like you do with relationships? Um, in my opinion, managing anxiety is all about prevention mm-hmm. rather than treatment. Okay. So when you're trying to treat your anxiety, it's kind of too late. Um, it's, yeah. it's not too late to fix the problem, but it's too late in that now you're in an acute state of anxiety, which is incredibly painful. Yep. So anybody who has anxiety, no matter how large or small it is, mm. knows that sadness is okay, anger is okay, having a bad day is okay, mm-hmm. but feeling anxious is hell. Yeah. There's nothing productive, useful, or even remotely enjoyable about a feeling of anxiety ever. Yep. So I want to prevent that for people as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And really the way that you prevent anxiety, at least in my experience, in my opinion, is through what you do every day. You have to have a daily routine Mm -hmm. that you is consistent and that you do not stray from. Yeah. And it's got to include a few things. One, it's got to include some sort of spiritual practice, Mm -hmm. whether that is meditation or yoga or prayer or reading a scripture, if you're a religious person, Mm -hmm. something that connects you, something that takes you out of your own body and connects you to something higher. Yeah, love that. Two is there has to be some sort of physical activity in your day because of the way that our brains work Mm -hmm. in order to overcome anxiety and just be a well-adapted person, physical activity is not a choice. It's an absolute requirement. Your brain is not different from the other 8 billion people on the planet. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, and so, I mean, those, those two are, are musts, the spiritual practice and, and the exercise, some form of physical movement, you know, and those things have to be every day, seven days a week consistently, you know, over a period of many, many years. Then there are other really good bells and whistles to throw in. Like if you need medication, you go to a psychiatrist. Right. Um, There are things called grounding techniques. 
There's a lot of journaling that I have people do to reduce their anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, but my philosophy is definitely prevention rather than treatment. Yeah. I love that. And it's something that I'm thankful uh, that people talk about in our generation a lot more than they used to. Uh, my mother uh, has dealt with anxiety her whole life and for a long time growing up. Like she didn't know because she grew up in a different time, right? But she's very open about it now. And um, she is a women's lacrosse coach and has coached uh, elementary, middle school, high school, college. She deals with all different types of, of, of women of, of many different ages. And she tells me about different types of anxiety that she's able to share stories on and relate in one way or another, like you do. So, and I have a, a, a lot of men deal with it too. And that's why I mentioned this year, I have a lot of friends in the music industry. They've lost their jobs, they've lost their income. Um, and it's been very stressful. And, and you're right, instead of, instead of trying to prevent it, they kind of get stuck in the moment where they're just thinking like, future, 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 like I'm, I, it's, it's going to be going around and around in circles. And I think you're right. It's important to say, I got to take a step back. How can I prevent this feeling from happening? How can I get in a routine? And I, and I agree with you. I'm a routine guy. I get up every single day. I have my job. I exercise. That's a big thing for me. Always has been. Um, I love uh, yoga as well. So I'm right there with you. And I feel so much more secure and comfortable knowing that I, I can expect what's going to happen this week or this month. I'm a planner too. I love writing yeah. what I have to do. And uh, I used to deal with, uh, I, I honestly, I don't really know. I took anxiety medicine. I think it was, it was during college is when it was pretty bad for me, but I think it was just like, I brought it on myself. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But it was still anxiety. So I, I understand. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about anxiety is that, some percentage of it is genetic. Um, Definitely. But but some percentage of it, a large percentage of it is lifestyle induced. You know, like you said, you brought it on yourself. It's a large percentage of it is based on your choices, your environment, what you're putting into your body, what you're doing every day, how you think, how you talk to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, these things are all lifestyle choices. So anxiety is highly, highly, highly preventable. Yeah. Um, and in, in our generation, we are the second highest users of anti-anxiety and antidepressant pills in the United States. Jesus. The first highest users are Vietnam War veterans. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's scary. Wow. So people in their 20s and 30s are only one step less depressed and anxious than Vietnam War vets. Yeah. And we live in the greatest time ever. We've had everything handed to us on a silver platter. Yeah. So there must be something wrong with our choices and the way that we're living our lives if that's how crazy anxious we are. That's a stat right there. Yeah, man. Gosh. Now, what about self-esteem and confidence issues? How do you go about working with clients for that? That's something that you've dealt with over the years in layers, how do you kind of preface that conversation before you go into a session, before you take on a client? Man, I, I feel like I can't give good answers to these questions because they're so broad. You know? <laughs> um, I go deep. I wish, yeah, I wish I, wish I you know, I wish we were talking about 
any one of these topics and we could go go deeper into it. But look, I mean, the thing with the thing with self-esteem and self-confidence or lack thereof, insecurity, you know, first of all, there are subtle differences between all of these terms. Yeah. Self-esteem is different from self-confidence. Yeah. Self-love is different from self-respect. Mm. Right. So we tend to, you know, to mash all of these things into one bucket, yeah. but they're not. You can have very high self-confidence in certain areas in your life, like in your job. Know that you're really good at your job, but have very, very low self-esteem about who you are as a person mm. and your worth as a person. You know, right. you could have, you know, very high self-confidence about something that you're good at but have very low self-respect and make decisions where you are disrespecting yourself you know so first of all i try to explain to people i try to take an inventory of like how low their self-confidence is how low their self-esteem is Mm -hmm. where they are respecting and valuing themselves and where they are not so right. we really see, we really have our work cut out for us and we see like where the work needs to be done. Right. Then what I try to do is pinpoint the exact moments in time. Mm-hmm. And this is hard, but it's incredibly liberating. Pinpoint the exact moments in time when your self-esteem went into the toilet mm-hmm. and how it got stuck there. Hmm. Because it didn't happen by accident. Right. You know? There are moments in time, there are days, there are events in our lives that teach us that we are not good enough. Yeah. And that belief gets stuck in our head and then we act out that belief. We Mm. reinforce that belief and we recreate that belief through our own actions. Mm. So I try to backtrack and find, you know, create a timeline of how exactly you got here Mm -hmm. so that you can understand the situation that you are in. And then the third thing I teach people is how to have higher self-esteem and self-worth and self-confidence and self-respect. Yep. Like I literally will teach them, okay, you want to feel better about yourself. This is what you have to do. Yeah. Like you wake up on a Monday, you know, self-esteem doesn't increase magically overnight because yeah, okay. a genie came down and granted your, your wish. Yeah. And this was a thing I was always trying to figure out. Like, I read all these self-help books and stuff, but no one's telling me how to do it. They just talk (laughs) about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's one thing I promise my clients is I I will give them a personal guarantee that in three months, you will feel like, like a significantly more confident and more respectable person. You will feel that way in your heart. But you have it's you're gonna have to practice every single day and you're gonna have to do as i say for a little while <laughs> <laughs> that goes into it i love that kevin and um i probably we could probably have an interview about each of these topics couldn't we extended sure. panels <laughs> absolutely there's a lot to go into man there is i i appreciate you trying to keep it concise because there's a lot that i want to unravel too but i know trying to keep it short today but something that we're both um, familiar again in our generation is, is body image disorders, right? Another all 
too familiar topic. This is something that was taboo for so long to even talk about. I remember learning about bulimia and anorexia, and there are obviously so many others as well. Um, but just thinking back and to see it's, it's not normalized having an eating disorder or a body disorder, but it's normalized to talk about it. And I think that's great. That goes into anxiety as well, in my opinion, from my experience too. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask you about is, of course, there's a big reason it's why, why have these continued to grow? Why do so many people have that issue? You touched upon it with social media celebrity life, like you said, too. Do you think there are some main factors that kind of contribute to that, whether it be for our generation, younger, older? Yeah, I think it all starts when you're a kid. You know, yeah. when, when you, for example, I was chubby when I was in elementary school, mm -hmm. and I was bullied for being chubby. Yeah. Chances are, it's like a 90% chance that in adulthood I'm going to end up with an eating disorder, you know? Jeez or some kind of messed up relationship with food. Doesn't have to be as extreme as anorexia, but when it's ingrained in you at such a young age that something is wrong with you for the way that you look, mm -hmm. and that's your environment, that's the message that's being sent to you, yeah. and you don't do anything about it because you don't know any better, Yeah. whatever you resist will persist. Mm. So... Any issues that you resist as a child or as a teenager, even if you're resisting them completely unintentionally or unwittingly, yeah. they will persist. They will come back. Yeah. And the same is, is true. It's true about body image. It's true about self-esteem. It's true about relationships. Any issue you have not addressed, it'll show up in your romantic relationship. You know, so it, whatever childhood trauma you have around your body or around your anxiety, it'll show up when you're 19, 20, 25 years old. <laughs> so That's crazy. Yeah, and I mean, from, from a psychological perspective, your parents, they have the first three years not to mess it up. If your parents do it right with you, the first three years give you the love, the attachment, you know, the attention, the bonding, all that stuff mm -hmm. you need, you will probably be pretty well adapted. Mm -hmm. um, of course, other things will happen to you throughout your life that will mess you up and that you'll have to recover from. Mm -hmm. But overall, you'll be able to recover from them. Yeah. If your parents messed it up between the ages of zero and three, your chances of having, you know, it's going to be a very uphill battle for you to have, you know, a productive and, and successful and happy life unless you go to work, unless you, you know, figure it out. Yeah. And... I have seen the unbelievably successful people come from terrible backgrounds of mm -hmm. abuse and trauma and stuff that's way worse than anything you and I have been through combined. Yeah. And they're happier and healthier and more successful than I am. Mm -hmm. you know? And so there's, there's no shortage yeah. to the things people can do when they are ready to turn their lives around. Oh, man. I love that. That is so inspiring. And, and gosh, it's so true, isn't it? It's crazy. Zero to three. Such a specific, you think it might not make a difference, but it really does, doesn't it? Zero to three, man. Your whole life is decided for you by how your parents raise you between the ages of zero and three. 
And as I said, other things will happen, you know, even if you had the best parents ever, something could happen when you were four or five or 10. And of course it will still affect you. Right. But the, um, the odds are in your favor when you had a better childhood and you had more support in the home. Yeah. But, you know, really I'm less interested, Sherm, in, in, how did we get here and what went wrong than I am in how are we going to fix it? Yeah. I love that too. And this is the essential difference between therapy and coaching. Uh, my sister's a therapist, by the way. Okay. And I was in therapy for seven years. I have nothing against therapy. I'm still in therapy actually. Right. But, um, therapy is for figuring out how you got to where you are and understanding your emotional problems. Coaching is for fixing them. Okay. Coaching is for here's what the problem is. This is where we go from here. And this is how we are going to actually create practical, actionable solutions to these issues. You already know that you have the issue, Mm -hmm. right? We can spend 10 lifetimes dissecting it and figuring out how you got got here. And that is useful and it's important and valuable. But my area of focus is how we're going to turn it around. Does that make sense? Yes, that does. That that honestly, that opened up another side of my mind thinking about that right there. The difference between those two. That's great. What's your sister's name? Her name's Ashley. Her name's Ashley Nahai. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. If wow. anybody needs one, you guys um, probably have some awesome conversations, don't you? <laughs> yeah, we do. But you know, some we don't always agree on things because we have you know. I defer to her for a lot of things. Like I'm always listening to her expertise on mm-hmm. psychology and child development and, you know, emotional issues and stuff, but we have very different approaches, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to fix the problem and she wants to diagnose and understand the problem. Um, so, I mean, and they're both necessary. There's a place for both of them, you know? Yeah. Gosh, that's awesome. Shout out to Ashley. Um, Thanks, <laughs> of course, man. So I've mentioned it a few times, of course, I don't have to remind anybody, but it's been a global pandemic this year and a lot of us have been stuck inside. A a large majority of people have been separated from their families, their loved ones. A lot of us have been alone. A lot of us have been sick with COVID. Everybody's been affected, right? There's been a lot of negativity, a lot of bad things, but there's been a lot of good that has come to light. Um, I want to ask you on a a personal level, Kevin, what, what are some things that you've looked at differently, whether they be internal or how you're looking at the world in a better way in a different way than before the pandemic man um well one of the things that the pandemic has forced me to do is sit with my own issues Mm -hmm. because i am not distracted by friends and restaurants and going out and parties and you know (laughs) stuff like that i mean i'm not much of a partier anyway but like still now I'm only spending time with my family, right. You know, and a few close friends and I spend a lot more time with myself than I used to. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, my life's mission is to work on myself and to grow. So I'm, I always try to be conscious of this pandemic or not, Mm -hmm. but when you are forced to sit inside your house and sit with your issues, you learn a lot of things about yourself, you know? And I think that that's a beautiful thing. It's not always easy, but you know, that, that's been amazing for me because this has been a very big growth period for me on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, and, and I really try to encourage people to take advantage of this downtime. I think that the biggest tragedy would be if this whole nine months or a year or who knows how long it's going to be passed by mm -hmm. and emotionally, psychologically, intellectually, spiritually, you are the same as you were a year ago when the world just gave you a break yeah. to work on yourself. Right. Like God has given all of us or the universe or this disease or who knows, yeah. but we've all been given on a silver platter, like sit with yourself, hire a coach, hire a therapist, figure out your issues. Yep. This is the perfect time to do yep. this. Yep. Especially because we're alone, we're lonely, we're sad, our relationships have been suffering, we're anxious. Yep. So, you know, right when you're in the middle of all of that stuff is when you need the most support. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, this pandemic has messed up our lives and the world in so many ways, but I'm also very grateful for the opportunity to slow down, connect to myself, grow. Um, and like you said earlier, you know, the pandemic has been good for me in terms of helping people because a yeah. lot of people have, have needed help. So yeah. I'm, I'm extremely, I'm extremely grateful um, for the opportunity to be there for people. I, you know, it's kind of tough because I never want to be celebrating when people are having trouble. Yeah. But people right. having trouble is my whole business. <laughs> so. That's okay, man. You're, you're doing, you're doing good for the world. And I love that too. I, I have that same thought as well. I think it's so crazy because not only it's, it's like now's the perfect time, right? Everybody in the world is going through this right now, right? Yep. Sometimes when there's a natural disaster in one part of the world, those people are affected, right? Sometimes when there's a war in one part of the world, those people are affected. World War doesn't necessarily affect the whole world. This is a global pandemic. We're all stuck inside at home with ourselves. And I think that there is beauty in that. I think that there's unity in that. And I'm hoping that when we do come back, we come back with more love, more respect, more kindness for each other because we all experienced the same thing. We all got put on the same bench together and we had to wait. And I'm optimistic for the future because of that. Yeah, me too. Me too. And beautifully said. I think what you said about waiting is really important because this pandemic has certainly tested my ability for patience. Same. Which <laughs> I don't have a lot of. I'm a very impatient person. <laughs> and this pandemic has also tested my ability for relinquishing control. Mm -hmm. And another beautiful thing that has come out of this time is that I've learned that I didn't cause it, I can't control it, and I can't cure it. I, I didn't cause the situation, I can't control the situation, and I can't fix this situation. Mm -hmm. So I have to become comfortable tolerating discomfort, tolerating yep. the unknown, yep. being without all of my usual amenities, being without my usual routine. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a huge opportunity for adaptation and evolution and you know and learning how to tolerate being uncomfortable and that is a skill that post pandemic we can all apply in our lives in every arena and yep. it will serve us i agree i love that kevin i hope i hope 
I hope that people can believe that too, because I think that's what's important. Um, I know you got to go here soon. I have one last question for you. Okay. Sure, of course. You could just give, and I know this is it's, it's broad, but it's specific. One simple piece of advice on how to lead a fulfilling and happy life, either in your experience or something that you tell people. Do you have a mantra? Is there something that you always think about? If it's just one piece of advice. I don't have any one piece of advice. Actually, I'm working on my first book now. And Are you? I, I am. And um, the book is exactly that, is a guidebook to a meaningful and extraordinary life. Okay. A practical guidebook. Please. <laughs> yeah, you did. So every chapter in that book is... Um, Every chapter in that book is a piece of advice, you know, that I uh, guess could be reduced to a one liner. So I, I can't choose any single one. It's kind of like choosing between like my children or something. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, What's one that you but, like now? But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a few that, that really stick out to me when it comes to living a meaningful life. Mm -hmm. um, one is that the quality of your life is the quality of your relationships. Mm -hmm. point blank if your relationships are in the toilet your romantic relationships your friendships so forth and so on relationships with people around you at work mm -hmm. you know all every all of your problems will be exacerbated and you will suffer mm -hmm. nothing is more important in life than our relationships yeah. and specifically our romantic relationship okay you know with that one person that we choose um that is going to be the biggest determinant of how happy or sad, how fulfilled or unfulfilled you are. Yep. And I guess the second piece of advice that I would share is on that, on that idea of fulfillment and what is a fulfilling life. I think fulfillment is, is um, comprised of two things. I think the first thing that it's comprised of is growth. Mm -hmm. And growth is comprised of personal responsibility, mm -hmm. taking responsibility and actually working through your problems mm -hmm. and creating a better life for yourself. The second thing that personal, that fulfillment is comprised of is contribution to other people's lives. The more you can step outside of yourself and make a positive contribution to the lives of other people, the lives of people you have those close relationships with, the more fulfilled you will be. But in order to be fulfilled, you need all tips of those of that triangle. You need the relationships, you need the growth and the responsibility, and you need the contribution to other people's lives. Now, me, I, I have a very fulfilling life, even though I don't have every single one of those. I'm single, I'm not in a relationship right now. Right. You know, you can still have a fulfilling life, but in order to aspire to the most fulfilling life, you know, the, the ideal picture is to hit each one of those buttons every day. Right. Wow. Well, geez, am I excited for your book? <laughs> Thank you, man. <laughs> That's awesome. How can, how can people like connect with you? Obviously your Instagram is, is incredible props on the brand that you're building and, and all the content you know how i know how much work goes into that it doesn't just show up on a page so i know i know you're putting in a lot of work but how can people connect so with you? much 
if they want to be coached by you, if they want to know more about your book, like how can we, how can we learn more about you? Sure. Thank you. Um, I have a YouTube channel where I have some longer form videos. It's just okay. my name, Kevin the high. Okay. Um, best way to connect with me though, is through my Instagram, send me a DM anytime. And, um, yeah, I respond to all my messages all the time. So, um, I'm there and I'm available, man. That's awesome. Um, thank you so much for having me on. Kevin, thank you for coming on and thank you for sharing again. I really appreciate that. Um, obviously you're someone who's, who's been through a lot in life and I think it just goes to show it's so important to share those stories with people because they're, you're not the only one that went through something like this, or like you said, on a lighter level or a heavier level. And I think it's so important that our generation flips that status quo. Like we're talking about that deals with so much anxiety. How can we be our parents' generation and look back and say, we dealt with a lot, but because we helped each other, because we talked about this, because we shared stories, because we got on each other's podcast, everybody's got a podcast. Nah. Because we wrote books, right? Because we talked, we're better for it now. And we're a stronger generation. And we're raising our children ages zero to three. My kids, nah. from, they're going to be superstars. You got me, You're right? Listening. I yes. Love it. <laughs> I, yes. I, I, that one definitely stuck in the back of my head. But yeah, I, I just, I just genuinely appreciate it, man. I love having conversations like this. Me too. Thank you so much, brother. And God bless you. And I hope we can do another episode together soon. Absolutely, man. We're going to be in touch. Okay. I'll keep you posted. And when this is all going to be out, I know this is going to be a big hit because you're speaking the truth. Appreciate you, man. All right, Kevin. Happy new year, brother. <laughs>